Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, hey, Liverpool One Church, it is so great to have you with us today. And that is for every single one of you that is gathering with us in person, but also for every single one of you who are watching in, tuning in online at home. Man, you are just as much part of the family as every single one of us guys that are gathered here in church today. And we're in a series right now called About Everyone. And I'm just going to like throw it out there from the off, from the jump, and let everybody know, like, honestly, like, we're going to try and do this series probably probably like at least once a year type of thing, because it's kind of the, the, the one occasion where we get as a church to really speak about like, this is why we do church the way we do it. This is why we value what we value. And it just kind of like makes me so inspired to see what God has done in us and through us. But it excites me as well when I think about what can come out of us as a local church, because that's what we are, a local church, if only we can continue to press in to all that we think God has not only got for us, but also what we think God thinks about us. So this series really is kind of like a behind the curtains look into what we do and how we do it. And today's going to be quite fun because I'm going to try and take you in part down memory lane. But before we do that, let me tell you, we've had some drama in the Bryant house over recent weeks. We have because our youngest son, we get a phone call one day and it's from the school nurse and she rings us up and she's like, look, you need to come and pick Sol up because he's had a fall and we think he's got a broken wrist. He needs to go to hospital. You've got to get it x-rayed. So we were like, okay, we can take care of that. So off Sol and I went to the x-ray department and we're in children's A&E for what felt like an awful long time. And they turn around and they say like, look, you, you've got a fractured wrist. And what that means is you've got to wear this splint and you can't really be lifting anything heavy at all. You've got to reduce the use of your left hand. You shouldn't be involved in any kind of sporting activity or anything like that. And Saul turns to the doctor and says, well, I'm a drummer. Will I be able to drum? And the doctor quite rightly says, well, absolutely not. Like at least three weeks, maybe four weeks, like you've just got to let this thing heal. But like no football, no sport, no drumming. And then when we got home, like he was so devastated because he couldn't even use his fingers for the left hand of the controller on the PlayStation. So it was like no football, no drumming, no PS, whatever. It's kind of like, man, like what's to live for now if you're 15 years of age, right? So we had this like, look, there's no drumming rules thing going on. But just the other week, last weekend, we had some people around our house and all of a sudden I could hear this noise coming from the attic. And I'm just like, man, I, I will kill him. I can hear the drums going. And I am like getting that, you know, like the, the dad rage. Has any of you dads had that before? It's kind of like, you know that one of your kids are going completely against the grain for everything that they've been advised to do. And you've spoken to them and you've told them. So like, I literally, I went marching up the stairs and I slammed open the attic door and I just started to shout at him like, are you for real? Like, are you serious? Seriously, Saul? And I'm pointing at my wrist to indicate, you know, he's got a broken wrist. But what I didn't know 
was that he was videoing the whole thing because he was anticipating me coming up. And this is the video. This is for dad's purpose, so he doesn't think. Right, I don't understand why you're drumming. I've recorded the whole thing. I have used one hand the whole time. So it was just me, yeah? <laughs> what you uh, <laughs> what you don't see is when I said to him, "Go on, then you play with one hand," and he started to. I literally just shook my head and walked out in a rage because there is my 15-year-old proving me wrong. Because the bottom line is like that should never have worked. You shouldn't be able to play drums with just one hand. It should never have worked, but it did. What was funny was that that night I tried to have a conversation with him and I was like, hey, look, I, I get it. You said that you were playing with one hand and that's kind of cool. But like, seriously, you, you know, you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you could be tempted to use your other hand. And, you know, and he, he just said this phrase to me that really became the inspiration for this message today. He said, Dad, look, it may be broken, but I can still play. And the moment that I heard that, I thought, wow, if there was ever a message that the church needs to hear, it's that right there. I may be broken, but I can still play. And there may be areas of your life that often feel a little bit broken, like they're dysfunctional, like they don't work the way that your neighbours does. They don't work the way that some other families does. There may be something about your life that feels a little bit broken, a little bit out of sync, but you can still play. And I'm going to prove that actually by showing you that this has been, in essence, the the history of our church. When we first started this church, you've heard me say this so many times, like honestly, we had no clue what we were doing. And in many respects, we still don't have a clue now. But like we would try our best and it would be like, we're not gonna shoot a pistol with our attempts to do church. We're gonna shoot the shotgun. Like just throw it out far and wide, just throw some, some shot out there and just see if anything lands anywhere. And when we very first started doing church, I mean, like, we were so bad at it. Like, I was horrible at it. And Emma and I, we weren't brilliant at it. But we kind of thought, like, media might be, be the next thing. You know, like, social media was starting out and all of that. So um, we had a go at filming some media. And this is how that went. Contemporary Urban Centre. Come and join us. That's what I'm looking for. Right. And we meet here in the brilliant contemporary urban centre that's just off Greenland Street in the heart of the magnificent city of Liverpool. Maybe church isn't what you do every weekend. <laughs> Can we just start that again? 
You see, like, this just should never have worked. Clearly, with people like Emma and I involved, this should not have worked at all. You know, that was the very first venue that it didn't take long for us to get kicked out of, and we ended up busking some space in the Hope University campus. And what would happen was we would meet in this room that we nicknamed, well, it was called 001, but it was like this really small, dark theatre. It had like 60 seats, and we'd get like 25 people on a Sunday. But what was cool about that venue was, I've got some footage of it here, is that we would bounce into this venue every single week, and what would happen is that we would literally have to build church from scratch. Like we had nothing. We had no kit, no gear, no cables. We robbed some ladders so that we could like do some stuff in the ceiling. And we just had like no clue at all. And most of our lighting that we like bought off eBay was held together by gaffer tape. I mean, it should just never have worked, right? Because that's not how you're supposed to go about doing church. It's supposed to be, you know, kind of like all presentational and it's supposed to look the part. Well, it looked pretty horrible in there, but the bottom line is, is that it should never have worked, but it kind of just did. Eventually, we grew that space and it just got to work because there was a bunch of people that were just 100% committed to bring the very little that they did know and pull it together and go, man, we're just going to have a go here and just see what God does in us and through us. The very next venue we used was here. This is the Liner Hotel, and we used this space. And uh, again, every single Sunday, we would bounce in, bounce out, bring in vans and lorries full of stuff, and Josh sitting on the floor, he never really did a lot anyway. And... um, What was funny about the liner was that like, this is how bad we were as a church. We didn't even have the money to pay for teas and coffees after the service. So what would happen is we would empty and pack down that space and we would literally, right, we would smuggle in like full-blown criminals. We would smuggle in all of these like take out cold coffees, iced teas, because we just didn't have the money to pay the hotel, which I'm sure is technically fraud. And I'm not sure how God would ever bless that. But the bottom line is we were just committed to finding a way where it often felt like there was no way. It should never have worked. But eventually over time, what we found was that we outgrew that space and we outgrew that venue and it should never have worked, but it just kind of did. When I look at through scripture at the team that Jesus built around him, you would look at that same team now and say, that should never have worked. You would look at the people who he included in his inner circle You would look at the net that he would throw out wide to let people know that God loves them, God likes them, and even on their worst day, he would still choose them. When you look at who he reached to, when you look at how he reached to them, the thing should never have worked. And that's why I'm going to take us to a story in the New Testament in Mark 2, where we're going to look at the account of a life whose name was Levi, a man whose name was Levi, and explore some of the facets about his life that Mark records in his gospel. And in essence, it's just a moment where Jesus goes about choosing and selecting and calling onto his team somebody that really, I don't think anybody else would have chosen. So let's go Mark 2 verse 13. 
Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Another translation actually calls them scum. Why is he eating with the scum of the earth? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's interesting to me when you consider that story, that what starts out in Mark's account as this large crowd all looking towards Jesus with a high level of expectation. Like, what are you gonna teach us, Jesus? What are you gonna do for us, Jesus? What miracle can you do for my family, Jesus? You're the local rabbi, we respect you. Your teaching is incredible. Like, can you impress us, Jesus? Whilst the crowd were all looking at Jesus, I find it fascinating that the text tells us that Jesus was looking at one person. The crowd's eyes were all on Jesus and yet Jesus was looking at one person. One person who was sat off in a tax collecting booth, which is massively significant if you want to really understand who Jesus really is. Like not the Jesus that might be depicted on the back of a magazine or on the back of a TV movie, but who Jesus really is can be found when we look at and explore who the man was that Jesus was looking at when the crowd were looking at him. Because what we see is his eyes were looking towards one man who was a tax collector. In other words, he really was the scum of the earth. Because the thing about tax collectors in this context is that they were a little bit more hated than maybe even tax collectors are for you today. Because like everyone kind of says, I don't like the tax man, right? Well, in this story, tax collectors, they were despised. They were hated. And here's the reason why. Because Jesus was a Jewish man and he is living in and around the nation of Israel. And Israel was under Roman occupation. What that meant was that they were now governed by a bunch of people who were not their people. So what this meant was that their land was no longer really their own. The produce of their land was also not really their own. And now there was a taxation system that was in place that was really unfair. It was sly. It was cruel. It wasn't even kind. But the fact that there was a taxation system in place was not really the tipping point for people in this culture. The tipping point was the fact that the Roman Empire would employ Jewish men to collect taxes on their behalf. And this, to a Jewish man like Jesus was, would have felt like they were being stabbed in the back. Like whoever was a tax collector, they were a traitor to the nation, right? I mean, they were going against everything that they believed. I mean, they didn't want to be under Roman rule. They didn't want to follow the rules of the empire. They did not want to have to pay tax to the emperor. And now what you've got is a Jewish man doing the work of a Roman man. And it felt like he was a traitor. They would have been despised. And then the absolute icing on the cake was the way in which tax collectors would go about their business because they were just deviant. 
And they were encouraged to be deviant because they were encouraged to take their own salary as a tax on top of the tax. So that when somebody would come to the booth to pay their tax and pay their dues, the tax collectors would always add on a portion of money that would be their salary. So not only were they acting like a traitor to the nation of Israel, but they were ripping off their own brothers, sisters, family, friends, people on their estate who they've grown up with all of their life. They're ripping them off. I mean, like this is fraud. And here what we find is that whilst the crowd were looking to Jesus, Jesus is looking to the one, but the one to whom Jesus is looking for is the biggest scallywag and scoundrel on the planet. And yet Jesus was calling that scallywag and that scoundrel to be part of his team. What I also love is the fact that when Jesus approaches Levi, this tax collector, it tells us that he approaches him whilst he's in his tax collecting booth. In other words, not only is he approaching a tax collector, but he's approaching a tax collector who is caught in the act. I mean, like, was there a line in front of the booth? Did he witness Levi making additional charges on all the other people that were going rightfully to pay their tax to the Roman Empire? Did he witness Levi ripping everybody else off? I mean, he was caught in the act. I mean, this is like a scandal. And this person right here should have been somebody that was completely avoided in Jewish culture. And yet we find Jesus going to this tax booth to have a conversation with Levi. And what that tells me is that Jesus placed no stipulation on those that wanted to follow him to have a perfect life before they followed him. It tells me that Jesus did not have a stipulation like oftentimes we do, that would almost try and subliminally encourage people to get your life together first, then come to Jesus. He, he didn't have a stipulation that kind of said, you need to clean your life up first. You need to stop doing what you're doing. You need to run away from the addiction. You need to stop being a thief. You need to remove yourself from the dishonest and deceitful ways that have been so much a part of your history. And until you do that, I'm not willing to converse with you. That isn't what we find with Jesus. Jesus literally goes up to him in his tax collector's booth whilst he's caught in the act, whilst he's doing everything that an other righteous upstanding member of the community would never have done. Now, I understand the problem for us is that we often think that there needs to be certain stipulations that are in place before people come to Jesus. And the reason why I think we often fall down that trap is because the longer you come to church, the longer maybe you are intent on developing and growing in your relationship with God, on one hand, the more aware of God's holiness you become. You become more aware of how, like, man, how perfect God is, how, how good God is, like how righteous God is. And the longer you walk with God, the longer you become a follower of Jesus, you become more aware of what we call God's holiness. But the effect that that can have even on us as a church is that now we're more aware of God's holiness, 
we wrongfully start to equate the idea that perhaps we need to be holy too in order to have a real relationship with a very holy and good and righteous and blameless and blemish-free God. When actually that's not Christianity at all. What we think is, okay, if, if you wanna be involved in church, if you wanna be involved in following Jesus, then there are all these steps that you need to do first. And that's not Christianity. That's not Christianity that we follow. That's not what following Jesus is. What following Jesus is looks like this. We acknowledge that God is a perfect God and through Jesus, He's made it possible for us as imperfect people to know Him and love Him and have a real relationship with Him. That's what following Jesus is like. Jesus includes into His team people that oftentimes we would never have worked with at all. And I'm almost wanting to say to you, church, I want you to take great confidence as you follow Jesus to know that if you ever come across anybody in your life, in your street, in your neighbourhood, in your workplace, at your sports team, at your college or your university, I don't want you to ever feel like, man, God and following Jesus would have so much to offer them, but they've got so much baggage that they're really messed up with, they'd really need to sort some of that stuff out first. I don't want you to ever feel the pressure to do that. And here's the reason why, because God never did that with you. And if He never did that with you, we don't need to place that burden on anybody else either. In fact, I'm even gonna go a step further. And I would say, I wanna encourage you. I wanna ask you, to actively look around who is there in your gym that you're with? Who is there in your office? Who is there on the work floor? Who is there in the warehouse? Who is there in the, wherever you do your daily life? And I'm asking you to ask yourself a question. Who is there that I can include and bring to church? Because the bottom line is this. If faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God, you're not going to turn on the radio in the UK and start hearing about who God is. So chances are the most likely place someone's going to ever hear about who God is and the way in which He loves humanity is in a church. So I want to say, bring people who you think might be a million miles away from God. They're the ideal candidate to be a part of this church that we're growing. Like people who you look at their life and you think, oh, they're a, they're a bit sketchy. They're a bit of a dodgy type. They've got some stuff going on. Perfect. That's exactly the kinds and types of people that I'm asking you to include and bring and be a part of our church family. But then thirdly, I think the one thing that makes the standout thing to me in the story is not just Jesus's response to Levi, but it's Levi's response to Jesus. Because when Jesus says to Levi, come and follow me, a request that he would never have anticipated to have come his way, what Levi doesn't say is fascinating. Because Levi does not give Jesus a list of reasons why he feels that he's not up to the mark, like he's not good enough, like he's never gonna attain what Jesus believes he could attain. He doesn't start to say to Jesus like, seriously, do you know who I am? Do you know how little respect anybody would ever have for me? Do you not know and realise like how I have such a bad reputation, not just in my road or my estate, but the whole city knows who I am and I'm hated? He doesn't say any of that. Neither does he turn around and he say to Jesus, I'm a flawed person. 
Like I'm a bit broken because I'm dishonest. Like if you cut me open, you're gonna find somebody who lies and tells fibs and is deceitful and wants to make a living off another person's downfall. You don't see Levi saying any of that to Jesus. He doesn't say, you don't understand, I don't have a good reputation. Neither does he say, I've got no prospects. I'm tarnished. I'm damaged goods. Nothing good could ever come from me. What we don't see is Levi saying to Jesus, I'm broken so I can't play. What Levi says when Jesus calls him and says, so come and follow me, like come this way, come and run in our gang, come and be a part of the crowd. What we find is that Levi's response, he just gets up and he follows him immediately. You know, I don't want you to respond to God and his call on your life in a way that Levi does not. Neither do I want you to have thoughts in your life that makes you think about you, that you are too perhaps unstable or out of balance or out of sync that God would ever want any involvement with you. I don't want you to ever sort of have that idea where you would kind of question God and say like, seriously, God, like me? Because I, I, I do this all the time and I don't want this for you. I don't want you to embrace this mentality that says like, are you sure about this, God? Have you got this right? Because we do this all the time. We, we, we come to God with our lists. Like, God, I'm not smart enough for you. I'm not intelligent enough to be able to be involved. How could anything good come from my life? Do you know what I've done in my past? Do you know what I've been up to? Do you know the secrets that I keep? Do you know that I'm the scandalous one? I'm the cheat. I'm the liar. I'm the fraud. I'm the guy that's dishonest. I'm the one that still smokes and he shouldn't. I'm the one that's not a great parent. I'm the one that's not great with my husband. I'm the one that's hooked on porn, hooked on drugs, got an addiction. I'm the one that I'm broken, God. And no way can you do anything good in my life. I don't want you to feel like that's who you need to be before God because Jesus's response to you is the same as it was to Levi, which is, hey, I'm here, come and follow me. I understand about that thing, come and follow me. I know you've got that going on in your life, come and follow me. And you know, when it comes to church, I have often struggled with that same sentiment. Like not all the time, but definitely like maybe a couple of times a year, I've kind of gone into these seasons where it just feels like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. God, I have no clue how to handle this situation. God, I don't know how to be around. God, I'm not smart enough for this. God, and honestly, what I'm finding is that in the same way that you question yourself over areas of your life, there are many areas of my life that I question immensely too. And oftentimes, with really good reasons. Because when I look back at our history as a church, it just feels like all we've ever done is fumbled and muddled our way through. In fact, the next venue that we took after we were in the Liner Hotel was a theatre not far away from here. It was called the Capstone Theatre. And man, we've got some funny stories from that venue. But like, if there was ever a moment that you would kind of look upon and say to yourself, this should never have worked, it would be this moment that happened just a few years ago. So we're right here outside the Capstone Theatre. 
which only just a few short years ago we were bouncing in and out of every single Sunday with vans full of gear, with just a ton of volunteers to make every Sunday service happen. But one of the things that we weren't able to do inside the venue was baptisms. For the simple reason they didn't like the idea of us bringing all of this water into their theatre, it was just a no-go. But they did say, you can use our outside space, but the issue is you can't use our water. So if you can source the water, you can have your baptism service outside. And we were like, we can do that. So one of our guys was like, I know somebody who works in the fire brigade. So he made a few calls and the fire brigade were all set to come and they were gonna literally empty a hydrant that's just on the other side of the road, fill up our baptism pool, which was just hundreds of hundreds of liters of water and we were gonna be set to go. But on the day, what happened was, and this could only be us, right? The fire brigade came, they tapped into the water hydrant, they filled up the baptism pool and then literally, as soon as they were leaving, we realized we were never going to be able to do this because the water, it was like dirt brown. It was just full of all kinds of mess and sediments and rust from the pipes. I mean, like, you literally, you couldn't see a few inches into the water. And now we're literally like 90 minutes away from running a service. But man... We're committed that when we say we're going to do something, we're going to find a way. We're going to figure this thing out. So we were all texting everybody we knew and we were saying, hey, is there any chance possibly that you could just call into a Tesco, a Sainsbury's, an Aldi, wherever? Can you pick up some water like Volvic, Evian, the lot? And literally everybody was turning up with like hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of these small volvic water bottles and we literally emptied every single water bottle out that we had because we were intentional that we were going to be doing some baptisms on that day but you know what it's that same spirit that I'm talking about here which was like man back then from the off we've always been the kind of church that is wired to do whatever it takes I mean, that's an example right there of people who were just devoting themselves to put themselves out to make sure that we were able to hold our baptism service. And it was just ordinary and regular people, just like you, just like me, making that happen. You see, our church has never been built off the back of a bunch of superstars, but just willing volunteers to sacrificially give of their time week in, week out, is what has made this happen. I mean, the truth is, we should not be doing this. Like, this should not work. Baptism pool full of vulvic water, surely there's gotta be a better way. But like, that's who we are. It's who God's made us. And we're thankful for the journey so far. But it's that spirit that's made us about everyone. And may us continue to always be about everyone. You know, wow. When I, uh, when I think about just seeing that there, there's just a few things that kind of come to mind about the, the aftermath of that story, right? Because the people that were all pulling the strings to make it happen were all once Levi. You've got to know that. Like, no one's here trying to make out that we're the perfect people, we're the perfect person, I'm the perfect pastor. Matt, you'd... You don't want to look at me. You just want to look at the one that I'm trying to tell you to look at. And his name is Jesus. Don't look at us. Look at him because that's where our eyes are fixed. But the, but the story after that is that like because of people's endeavours, 
Nick Bailey got baptised that Sunday. And now he serves as one of the most faithful men in our church family, like him and his whole family. Like are just part of this thing, just building it, you know? Mark Lai got baptised that Sunday. And even today, he's at the back serving his heart out and he just like does everything he can to make the church graphics profile as good as it can possibly be. And I look back and I just think of these stories that are made possible because people like you gave Jess at the time, Johnson got baptised that day. <laughs> now she's my daughter-in-law. How weird does that sound, right? <laughs> but it's all made possible because there's always been just ordinary and regular people, no superstars amongst us, just being willing to go, I might be Levi, but I'm willing to be a part of the team. I might be broken, but I'm still able to play. Now, let me hone in. Let me find like the, I don't know, there's probably maybe three of you in the room today, maybe four. And you're sat there right now and you're literally thinking, yeah, this is all nice, this is all great, but seriously, you don't know what I'm dealing with. Like, you don't know of the demons that are in my head. You don't know of what I'm battling with. And I understand how this could apply to everybody else. And this sounds great, but there's three or four of you maybe. Maybe, maybe there's a few more, I don't know, but there's some of you in the room today and you're literally kind of questioning everything I'm saying and you're going, yeah, yeah, but there's no way that Jesus would really call me. I understand it, He'd do it for the person to my left or the person to the, my right, but He's not really calling me, is He? Like, I'm not good enough for this, I'm not smart enough for this, I'm like, I've not got an altogether life, I'm not perfect and church people need to be perfect. I'm like, it's such a big deal for you. I want, I, I want to introduce you to a friend in the room. And I know it's not everybody, but maybe just a few of you, I wanna let you know and speak to you directly, just me to you right now. Just like a conversation one-on-one. -on -one. Imagine nobody else is even in the room. Because I've got this journal and about maybe like two times a year, well, I write prayers in there a lot of the time, but about two times a year, maybe, I'll write down a prayer that when I look back on, I go, wow. <laughs> I remember praying that prayer. I remember feeling what I felt when I wrote that prayer. And I'll write down some of my innermost concerns, anxieties, worries. And, and I question God in the same way that many of you. And a few months back, this was my prayer. Dear Lord, some prayers are way easier to say than others but I think that you've got this wrong. I'm incredibly thankful, beyond grateful for all the prayers you've answered. We built a church that was once only ever a dream in our hearts. Stop crying, you. Most people, many people come now than ever before. People get saved. People get baptised and I love it, but it's not easy. Sundays seem to come pretty fast. Demands only ever increase, nothing <laughs> diminishes. And sometimes I feel like I'm running out of stuff to say. Now, if you'd have chosen someone way smarter, 
I think they'd handle the pressure better. But Lord, hear my heart. It's an honour we get to do this, but there are just definitely times I think there are better candidates for the job. You sure you've got this right? So for as long as you want me here, as part of your plan, I'm open, just feel a little broken. And I have to remind myself. So to the small number of you, I want to remind you of something. This whole event of Jesus calling Levi to come follow me, it's not a one-off. In fact, when you look through Scripture from cover to cover, you see it happens all the time. You see that God calls broken people all the time. You see that God calls non-professional, non-certified people all of the time. In fact, to you who maybe would write yourself off already and say, God would never call out to me. I understand He'd do it for Levi and He'd do it for the guy on my right and the guy on my left, but He's not really gonna call out to me. I want you to know, no, no, hang on a minute, right? In Scripture, Abraham was way too old, but God still called him out. Jay Isaac was a daydreamer and God still called him out. Jacob was a liar and God still said, come and follow me. Joseph was abused and Moses, he was called to lead and speak to thousands and yet he had a stuttering problem. Gideon, he was afraid, he was a scaredy cat. He went and hid underneath a wine cellar and yet God still called him out. Rahab was a prostitute, what a history, what a past. And yet she bounced back from that because God called her out. Jeremiah and Timothy were all too young. David had an affair, he was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ three times. The disciples fell asleep when Jesus wanted them to pray with Him for just one hour. Martha worried about everything. Her anxiety was crazy. The Samaritan woman, she was divorced multiple times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was religiously too big. Timothy had an ulcer and Lazarus, well, he was dead. And all of these people were people that God spoke out to and said, now come and follow me. Now come and follow me. Come and be part of, we're gonna build on the planet. Come and follow me. And if you wanna know really church, what we're about, why the sign is there, why we say we exist to change lives for Christ, one life at a time, we're about everyone is because we see it in Scripture. And let me tell you this about Levi in closing. Levi's name became Matthew. And Matthew was the author of the very first Gospel. You see, all of those intricate skills that God had placed inside of Matthew to record the details and the numbers and the zeros, He just turned it around and used it for His good. And now we became a scribe and recorded all the details of the actions of Christ. Levi is Matthew. You are Matthew. It's you. So I don't want you to think that you can't play because you're broken. Hey, if you're open, it's okay if you're broken. Jesus says, come and follow me. And as we do that, we're gonna build a life-giving, thriving church that explains to people who God really is. And I don't care if you don't feel like you're quite there yet. Hey, me neither. <laughs> we're all in the same club. We'll get on just fine but we can definitely do this together. Thanks for joining us today. 
We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.